0: Welcome to the second episode. This episode is the MIT Sloan Management Review of Spring 2020. They don't have a weekly or a monthly subscription offer, apparently. I don't know. I haven't subscribed to the MIT Sloan Review because I read the Harvard Business Review. So this is the first time that I'm going to read this. And honestly, I wasn't planning to. I was just going to do the Harvard Business Review, but I was walking across my newsstand buying bread, and then my eyes just went to this big purple magazine on the stand and I was like wow that's that's an eccentric cover because it's not particularly something that your eyes would latch on to it's simple it's plain it's just got this bold text format that's not really appealing honestly but but it had this special issue written on it and I was like wow if you put little thought on a cover design for a special issue I'm sure you put a lot of thought into the content so let's find out anyway this issue is about disruption 2020 and it says what will it take to innovate and compete over the next decade so they're obviously talking about disruptive tech you know the the kind of tech that you know disrupts the market that's that's what I understood about disruptive tech I I never really thought about it a lot Because to me, the term just explains everything that's need to, you know, that you need to know about it. So, uh, when you talk about the tech that's gonna shape the next decade, obviously the first question that comes to mind is what tech do you think shaped this decade? In my opinion, it was Instagram, Netflix, in fact, any streaming service Netflix Spotify so I would say the biggest disruptors by definition of this decade have been streaming services okay now let's talk about why this is a special issue or why they think it's a special issue it says in a fond memory of Clayton Christensen I have no idea who that person is but that's probably because I'm not a regular reader of the magazine but I'm glad I picked up this magazine and I read about this person because this person has written books and publications and he He's done a lot of research on what disruptive text actually is Now, you know my question from the cover. What exactly is disruptive text? I know what it is, right? It's it's tech that disrupts the market and Disrupts it in a way that it displaces the big giants and establishes itself so how do you find a service that's going to become a disruptive tech? And a bunch of services come out every, every, I don't know, month, week, sometimes even every day, there's a bunch of new services on the internet. How does a successful, let's say, venture capitalist know that this is going to flourish? This is going to displace something and become the next big thing. to the magazine is written by Karen Dillon. Karen Dillon is a popular name if you read the Harvard Business Review. She's there in almost every issue. But she's a guest editor for this edition of MIT. She's apparently worked a lot with Clayton and she calls him a rock star when it comes to management thinking. Clayton died this year in January 2020. And there's a lot that I learned about him and now. I'm kinda disappointed that I never knew about this person because some of his questions, and not just his answers, some of his questions in fact, are more interesting than the topics that they raise. Okay, now I'll be honest. I was a little disappointed by the cover, but the introduction had me hooked. I couldn't stop thinking about what questions both sides in businesses had to ask to grow and identify a disruptive technology. Both sides being the disruptor and the venture capitalist who decides to invest in it. There's no denying that disruptors serve an important role in technology. They not only foster innovation, but they also make sure that large corporal giants don't end up completely hogging the industry. The startup culture has become an inviting avenue for young job seekers. And this is probably because a lot of young graduates enter the market and they have high work culture expectations. They don't just want a lot of money or a very cushy job, they want the kind of work culture that makes them feel at home and makes them a part of the entire mission. A lot of this culture actually comes from these small scale disruptors, since they often grow into big and popular companies but end up sticking to their fun cultures. To start off, let's talk about Clayton's published work called The Theory of Disruptive Innovation. This boils down to basically defining what a disruptor truly is. Disruptors are products or services that take root in a small, simple application at the low end of the market. This is generally by being cheap and more accessible and then relentlessly moving up the market. Now when I read this, I realized that all of the examples that I had uh, when I was thinking about disruptors, when I just looked at the cover like Spotify, Netflix and Instagram, they do actually fit the definition here and they all have another small thing in common. They appeared modest at the outs or the uh, outset but they had the potential to transform the industry another thing to remember is that almost none of these were pioneers in their sectors take Netflix for example we already had blockbuster e- even better let's let's talk about Microsoft's Zune and compare it to Apple's iPod the zoom was much ahead of its time and that's probably why it failed actually it, uh, it was a bit too ahead of its time for those of who who are unaware or probably too young soon launched alongside the iPod and it came with streaming options way back in 2004 but the world wasn't ready for it the world wasn't ready to let their music ownership be something that they borrowed they wanted to own the music the attitude now is the opposite owning something for the most part has turned into being some sort of a long-term liability it's too much of a commitment Now, just as I was completing my research on the theory of disruptive innovation, Google recommended another theory. It's by Clay as well. It's called The Benefits of Causal Theory. Now, before I get into that, let me point out what assumption we hold before studying any causal theory in marketing analysis. We acknowledge that data is not the phenomenon. It's simply the representation of a phenomenon, a single phenomenon. Seems obvious, but we don't always keep this assumption in mind, so I'll just repeat it for you. Data is not the phenomenon, it's the representation of a phenomenon. In any marketing study or analysis, one important aspect is to realize that data isn't just used to form decisions. Data is used to make a guess on what the best decision can be while keeping in mind the biases that went behind generating or obtaining the data in the first place. Now now that this assumption is clear, let's jump to the conclusion of causal theory of uh, what marketing comes to. Which is basically that the cause of a truly disruptive technology is felt not on the entire technology sector, but rather on current high profile leaders. The reason for this goes back to the very assumption of the marketing analysis I just said. Incumbent leaders often ignore the biases while studying the data of consumers. They record trends, they record behaviors, but they leave out the biases. They flatten the anomalies because it doesn't match their growth plans. And this is where a strong disruptor comes in. They acknowledge the biases and they work on the anomalies of the data. The aim of a disruptor is to keep tackling a small segment till it flourishes into what finally becomes their customer base. There's an old saying, which goes something like, you can't expect a customer to know what they want. And that's how it all starts for them. These disruptors target a small base of people and they attract more and more people who realize that they needed a particular service and then they finally generate a solid customer base. To understand scale of disruption, let's look at a few real-life examples so it becomes a little more clear. And this time, it's not just going to be vague examples like Spotify. It's what Clay used to study his theories. The first example dates back to 2013, when Clayton made the claim that in 10 years or so, 4,000 colleges in the United States would go bankrupt. Clayton explains that that when you talk about a disruptive technology coming into a huge market like education, you don't directly jump to bankruptcy. You look for more subtle signs, like how since 2015 there's been an upward rising trend for schools to merge with online learning tools. Compare this to closing it down and moving to online education completely. Education for the most part has been a traditional and conventional field. Recognizing the impact of new disruptive products in education creates a huge effect because nobody expected that these conservative fields would play nicely with the new disruptors of the market. For the second example, let's talk about Clayton. Um, During this interview, he was asked to state his favorite disruptive technology. He beats around the bush, but then he finally says Airbnb. This was a little strange to me, but it's interesting if you think about it. It's strange because obviously when you think about disruptive tech like me, I thought about the things that I used a lot, like Spotify since it replaced my traditional methods of doing something like ripping a CD to my iPod. But Clay looks at it from a different perspective. He looks at it from the market's perspective and this is something that I missed out on because when, when I think about hotels or places that rent out accommodations, the first assumption is that they have a high starting capital. But this isn't the case here because we compare relative capital to the industry and not the overall capital. So, sure, Airbnb has more starting capital than Spotify, but it's an unfair comparison in the first place, because you're comparing a disruptor to the legends of its market. So the right comparison would be comparing Airbnb to, say, the Ritz or LeCarton, in which case Airbnb is a solid disruptor. Now let's get to my favorite part of the study. Analyzing what questions both these disruptors and traditionalists need to ask. To start with the disruptors, remember, by definition these are services that start off small, they target a niche, they understand anomalies, and they grow to cultivate a whole new consumer base which probably did not exist before. Or it might have and it didn't just know what kind of a product they wanted. In this process, it becomes obvious that analyzing a consumer is as important as analyzing a non-consumer. The disruptors need to know what separates these anomalies from what the existing services already offered because that's what is going to make this niche consumer base stay with them for traditionalists it's a completely different issue to tackle they need to think about how to avoid being disrupted by them so for the traditionalists the questions revolve around what kind of signs to look out for but that's the issue that's why they keep getting disrupted in the first place Traditionalists violate the basic principle of marketing, and they take data as a large trend. They're too busy generalizing what a successful disruptor does without realizing that the success of a disruptor comes from deviating from these trends in the first place. For establishing a good disruptor, it hence boils down to one thing. if if someone were to somehow make some sort of a theory. The best theory would be something like a theory of jobs to be done because disruptors realize knowingly or unknowingly that all data collected by traditionalists is focused on customers and the product itself. They're not focusing on what the consumer is trying to accomplish in making the purchase. Let's think about an example I talked about a while back. Why was Netflix so successful in disrupting Blockbuster? Netflix realized that consumers weren't looking for a media consumption platform, they already had plenty. They were looking for a social and emotional dimension that allowed them to relax in their homes whenever they wanted. This is exactly what sets Netflix apart from the crowd. This very idea is the base of the growth of streaming services now in general. People want control over the media, they can relax over it, but they don't have to worry about the ownership. This change in attitude is why streaming services are booming now and failed when Microsoft Zoom came out. The idea at the core of this research by Clayton has been that disruptors are often misinterpreted. They're not always new, shiny, highly technological advanced products in the market. They're just services which realize that they wanted to contribute to a process and not to one single event. Despite this extensive study, Clayton does acknowledge the role of luck in making or breaking a disruptor. And this introduction of luck the, the dimension that you can't measure, the dimension that you can never talk about was the aw oh, shucks moment that I had while reading the article in the first place. There's probably no better example that I can think of when it comes to the classical theory of disruption than that of Intel and ARM. Intel dominated the chip sector they enjoyed decades of high margins by selling high-end, powerful, and fast computer chips for large uh, desktops and laptops. This obviously meant that they didn't care about power consumption. And not only them, in fact, even the customers didn't care. Because most of their personal computers were either permanently plugged into a power source or they had sufficiently large batteries to go hours without charge. This is where ARM saw a whole new industry. They displaced Intel at their very own game. They realized that maybe customers aren't asking for portable batteries. Maybe customers aren't talking about laptops that they can carry everywhere. But what if somebody were to tell them, hey, you know this laptop that you're using at your desk? You can take it on your Metro. You can take it to a cafe. You can take it anywhere you want. And that's what ARM did. ARM started making batteries that would now focus on delivering the same performance, but okay not maybe not the same performance but a somewhat comparable performance with the prospect of portability this is classic disruption you don't completely destroy one field you keep it there but you tone it down a little bit and you add another functionality classic disruption this is what arm did in support to realize why arms gamble worked so well arm realized that innovation in uh, in this decade isn't just focused on one's needs one's necessities it's focused on one's greed when you tell people that you can give them an additional functionality without taking away something from them they find it a very lucrative option and they're naturally attracted towards it this is what arm capitalized on another very small thing that you probably didn't notice about this tactic is how arm reacted to the customer sector The producer till this point had relatively little control over the buying experience. For many producers, the most important customer became the retailer and not the end user. Think about this, large distributors like say Target or Walmart or Carrefour, when you see a vendor that's demonstrated over there, they generally have to display a large demand for their consumer segment, otherwise they don't make it to the big shelves. So what happens when somebody like Amazon walks into the market and says, hey, you know, we, we're we going to give this platform to all the small businesses that want to sell their products. It's It's a lucrative thing for the small businesses that are trying to set up and the people shopping there. They not only get to interact with small businesses it somewhat complies with their moral license that is supporting small businesses even though if they shop local and if they go to a local market or something not these big chains or amazon they end up supporting small businesses a lot more but the very fact that amazon capitalized on this and it gave a whole new market to these small businesses meant that it was satisfying both ends of the spectrum but saying that disruptors have always been good for the market would be kind of myopic. Different cases were just because a company was so um, blinded by, uh, by this whole new concept of engaging with the disruptor, they completely devastated itself. In fact, today's digital disruption is so fierce that core businesses are less reliable than ever they've been before. A small decline can endanger the entire enterprise. Let's take the case of General Electric. It's a classic study. General Electric in 2013 introduced this system, which was called Predix. Predix was basically um, this this aim to get IoT, Internet of Things, into their everyday vehicles. When it failed, which was kind of an experiment, so nobody thought this would happen, but when it failed to balance its investments for the future, um, its demise adversely affected the health of GE's other core divisions, leaving the company in dire straits. But completely billing this on disruptors would be wrong because compare this to a scenario where Redux was developed by a new disruptor in which uh, d- say the disruptor specialized in iot devices so not only would have ge survived but they would probably have a functional automotive iot system till now so all of this makes you conclude that when uh, you see a disruptor coming incumbents quickly fall into three main categories The first are those which fall into the classic category. They ignore the potential change completely. They don't think of them as a threat at all. The second are those who stop, who spot the disruptors, and they overreact. They spend vast amounts of money and time. They jump into whatever the disruptor market seems to hold. This is what GE did. They thought IoT was going to be big. They jumped into the market without realizing that they were not balancing their investments with their R&D. The third and the most utopian way to deal with disruptors is to make modest investments in potential disruptors. You need to realize how they, as a product, satisfy your service. You need to think of disruptors even if they are a service in itself as products for your service. Obviously, this requires a change of mindset. Every traditional company should be aware that the very concept of sustaining renovation today is at risk senior leaders and board members must accept that there are no safe bets anymore there's a tremendous amount to be learned about how to compete in this digital world and incumbents need to stop spending money trying to be a better version of their analog selves. they need to start approaching a digital strategy with an eye towards discovery that is how you deal with disruptors i mean of course i can't write you a book on this because i'm no expert but if you think about it, it makes sense. How do you deal with somebody who has no plan, and the only plan is to get into your market? You try to understand them. You try to leverage your experience with their expertise from a particular service. These have been my insights about uh, this article on Clay Christensen. It was written by Rita Gunther. She's a professor at Columbia Business School, and you find a lot of her articles in the Harvard Business Review. But before we move on, I'd like to talk about a service of disruption that's been very pervasive in say, the last five years. I mean, it was developed a long time back, but in the last five years, it's become a buzzword. It's because something that you see everywhere, every company wants to develop it. You probably guessed it, it's AI, artificial intelligence. So let's take a look about why AI hasn't been the disruptor that it has the potential to be, and what companies that that wish to focus on AI should look out for. So even if you don't know what AI is or how it works, you're probably familiar with what it's most infamous for, which is being a disruptor in the market for taking away jobs. Now remember how I said disruptors are an anomaly to the system? But AI in itself is an anomaly to the system of anomalies we call disruptive text. Let me explain why. For starters, AI is not one single technology. It's a result of many technologies coming together as a service like computer vision, natural language processing, and a bunch of other machine learning acronyms I'm not going to throw at you. Doing AI as it's called needs to have a more specialized approach. Do you wish to implement as a fraud detector for your banking system, a spam filter for your personal mailbox, or do you need it to talk to your customers in a non-robot voice to answer their questions? There's no common way to do this. You need very specific techniques or as they're called, packages. Let's go back to the first principle of marketing analysis that we talked about. People believe AI is data-centric, but it's not as simple as merely obtaining just more data. It needs to be accessible, organized, and it should make sense. It should be relevant to what you're trying to do with the data. Let's look at the 2016 presidential elections of the United States. In the Facebook campaign for President Trump, Sprinkler and Ken show weren't just collecting data. They were dividing data by classifiers and they believed what mattered the most was to engage people with this content. And how did they do it? They divided the data to serve the people that they were targeting. This extends into a managing issue. How do companies ultimately react when they're working with AI? They hire tons of engineers and statisticians with a narrow focus on the task. They don't let them contribute to the final goal and this is why a lot of the data that they get for AI purposes is low on insights and high on volume. Incorporating AI in your workspace is more than just knowing about disruptive tech. Because as I said, this is a very specific technology which is an umbrella for other smaller and more focused technologies. Working on them is what companies need to focus. They need to focus on the final goal that they had in mind, the very reason why they're implementing AI. It shouldn't just be centered on attracting investors by having a new shiny term. Unless you have a purpose for using it, it doesn't make sense to have it at all in the first place. conclude with an example that we've all grown to love or probably hate. This is Ryan Howard from the popular TV show called The Office. My focus on Ryan's character is exactly what happens when Ryan rises up the ranks coming from a generation that he's grown up counting their Facebook likes, and he seems to give in whatever seems like the next big thing. Remember when he throws around big terms to change the Dunder Mifflin into a hip Silicon Valley startup? He tries out new services which don't really deal with the way that they did previously. Now let's face it, he knew making a new website to boost sales would help. But when it failed, he had two options. He could either realize that he needed a better strategy or outsource this website to a firm that could do a much better job. But instead, he fails for the classic trap and he decides to go all in. He ignores the fact that this very company doesn't understand with his final goal is, let alone agree with his vision of the future. And this is where it all goes wrong. Although Ryan's character is probably meant to be a satire for uh, the millennials, he makes a solid case study for how a manager should never deal with disruptors in the industry. I've said it before and I'll say it again, The Office is the most underrated show and I highly encourage you watch it if you haven't already. I'm also aware that this episode didn't cover the entire magazine, but I wanted to dedicate one entire episode to lay down the foundation of what disruption actually is. Now that we've done this, we can talk about some more involved theories of disruptive finance and economics in the next episode. Till then, stay safe and keep washing your hands. Duo is now available on Google Podcasts and Pocket Casts. So thank you for your support, and if you liked the episode, share it with your friends. You can also reach out with me on Twitter, I'll link my handle in the description. So let's stay safe, guys. Have a good one.